I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Hi there. Welcome to the show. You've made it to our hangout spot. Once upon a gene, I'm your host, Effie Parks. I hope you've caught up on some of the last few episodes to get some updates on what's coming up and other good news, including the Global Genes Patient Advocacy Summit in September. Check out the show notes for details and links to those episodes. Today, I have my RFG on the show, my rare fairy godmother, the goat, the greatest of all time. She is co-founder of ADCY5.org. After becoming a mom to her now beautiful 25-year-old daughter, Lily, who lives with the rare disease. She's a nuclear advocate, and I'm not quite sure how she's so good at everything and looks so calm at the same time. She's been an advocate for over 20 years for all of those in the rare disease community. But one of her most fulfilling and passionate areas is helping younger families in their journeys. So it's summer, and we thought... This is the perfect time to start talking about the IEP. So today she's laying down the knowledge and how to be the fiercest and most equipped advocate you can be with that IEP. Let's get into it. Please welcome Gay Grossman. Hi, Gay. Welcome to the show. Hi, Effie. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you're always here anyways, but alas, this is your first time on Once Upon a Gene. So I'm so happy to have you here. I am so honored that you've asked me to be here. <laughs> well, today we're we're talking about one of the biggest pain points, I feel like, for most parents. Would you agree? I would absolutely agree. I think now that I'm on the other side of it, there's a lot that I can that I could have learned a long time ago before I even started all of this. Well, give us a brief rundown of you as a mom and a little bit about Lily. Sure. So first, I need to just have my disclosure that I do work for Neurogene in the capacity of Director, Patient Advocacy and Engagement. And I am here not as Neurogene, but as a rare disease mother and uh, one of the founders of ADCY5.org. But I'll give you the rundown. So my daughter now is 25. So we've obviously gone through the whole educational system from preschool to graduating from college. And Lily was diagnosed when she was 15 years old with a disease that had yet to be named, but is now called ADCY5-related dyskinesia. And basically what that means is that it's a movement disorder, and she is a cognitively typical child, now adult, who is um, very affected physically with movements that are now controlled through different treatments that we've been able to find. 
Lily's so amazing and I'm so proud of her and all of you. I love following your journey. And just so you know, listeners, Google Gay Grossman. We'll definitely have her on the podcast again to, to delve in a little deeper about her daughter and the foundation she started. But holy cow, go read up on her. She's such an expert and such a powerhouse. And we're just so lucky that she's going to share some of her wisdom here and the lessons learned and just doing the Lord's work by passing it on to parents who are newer in the game, like most of us here today. So, okay, Gay, what is it? Tell me the difference between 504 versus an IEP, because I never knew either of them existed before Ford. And I didn't know about them either, Effie, until Lily. And (laughs) uh, 504 is a plan that is utilized to help kids who might need some adaptations or accommodations in the classroom, but they're recommended accommodations. Whereas an IEP is actually a federal document. It's a contract that has to be followed by a school district that provides individual supports to a single child. So it's just like it says, it's an individual education plan. So it's provided and changed yearly and sometimes more often to make sure that your child has the accommodations they need to have access to their education. So some people have a 504 and don't have an IEP. Yes, that's true. I am an advocate of having an IEP because it, like I said, it's a federal document, which means across the state lines. So um, we did have a time where we moved from one state to another and we took our IEP with us and whatever had been put in that IEP in the state where we moved from had to be implemented into the state where we moved to. That's something I didn't know until I read about some of the work that you did, that it crosses state lines. And then I just had a lot of questions about like, well, what if you move to like rural Montana and that IEP goal situation that you had is a pipe dream for a place that maybe has less opportunity, less staff, less resources? Well, every school is uh, required, every public school is required to uh, provide access to an education. So there are things that are different. I'll give you an example that we were faced with. My daughter had a laptop when she started kindergarten because of her dexterity and inability to hold a pencil. And So she did her worksheets, just like the other kids. They were scanned into her laptop, and she would type in the word, whatever they were learning and spelling or the math that they were learning. And when we moved to the state of California, they said to us that, you know, actually, we only provide laptops to kids in high school who need them. And the IEP is what was the deciding factor on her getting a laptop so that she could do her work. And she was in third grade at that time. And really, because of her challenges with speech, it was really her outlet of the way that she would explain things. If they read a story and they had to write a paragraph on a summary of the story, there was no way for her to express herself except through that laptop. And so it was very difficult for the teacher to really know what was in Lily's mind unless she had the ability to type it out. So they did have to invest in a laptop and the software. And, you know, I think that one of the things that I want to say to people as they're listening is, you know, a lot of this can be contentious and it can feel very overwhelming and that's normal. You want the best for your child and the school is there to try to make things, you know, they want to provide the access for your child, but like you said, they might not have the funding or the ability to do that, but they need to 
know how to work with that funding, your your schools do get money for your child attending. So when Lily went to her elementary school, they received more funds because Lily was coming to class every day. And that money is to be allocated for her for the needs that she has. So it's part of being educated as a parent to know that and to know that your school is getting funding for your specific child because they have greater needs. Hmm, that is a really good point to keep in mind for sure. Uh, can we talk about that overwhelm for a second? Yeah. I know for me, I was overwhelmed before I even knew what anything was going to be about just in preschool when Ford was in developmental preschool for the IEPs that I had to go to simply because all I hear online and in my parent groups is that it's the worst time of your life and it's terrible and everything is awful and you just talk about what your kid can't do and it's super emotionally disruptive. So I went in kind of on edge yeah. without even really knowing. Well, I remember my first IEP meeting. I went by myself. You know, I had no idea what to expect. And it was presented to me that, oh, we're going to do this plan and we're going to figure out what Lily's needs are. And we're going to set goals. And they made it sound kind of very easy before we walked in the door. And I really didn't spend time reading about what it was or talking to anybody about what it was. And I think that if we talk a little bit about the structure, what actually happens, you walk into a room and you sit in a very large table with a lot of people, sometimes, you know, 10 to 12 people, and you immediately feel very alone because everybody in the room has done this before. So, my, you know, my tips to people are, if you've never had an IEP meeting before, you know, read a little bit about it and arm yourself with the knowledge of just how things are set up, like who's going to be in the room. And you can ask the, the, the school this before you even go to your first meeting. And I think it would have helped me to know who will be sitting there, like, you know, the teachers that will be sitting there, the principal might be there, the special education um, department might be there, the gym teacher might be there, anybody who interfaces with your child during that day, during the school day, might be sitting around the table. And I did not learn really how to restructure the meeting so that it was more emotionally positive. And that's really what I would like to teach parents how to do. So I'm happy to share those tips if you think that's helpful. Yeah, we all have a pen ready. Okay. So honestly, I didn't, like, like I said, I didn't learn this till high school, but usually when you go into an IEP meeting, they will go around the room and they will read reports. The first thing that is read about your child is the diagnosis and the detriments that your child has. So, you know, hearing that first thing is, it's, it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a stab in the chest of a reminder, because I think all of us as rare disease parents we walk around kind of with this armor on, you know, especially in school, we're just, we're trying to measure up. We're trying to, you know, prove that our child deserves to be here too. And hearing that first thing in the meeting is it just kind of cuts you down, you know, a, a level. And then they go around the room and they read reports and they start reading, you know, say the physical therapist is reading a report and the homeroom teacher is reading a report. And you know, it's, it can be very negative and it can be very, very overwhelming to hear all of the challenges that your child has. And that's, that's how the IEP is structured. And honestly, I don't know why I didn't think of this before, Effie, but, you know, I just kind of flipped it around. So what I started doing in high school was I really took control of the meetings and they're very long meetings. They can be over three hours long. And it's difficult to sit through a meeting like that and hear, how long are your meetings with Ford? Have they been that long? Yes, but they've actually broken up into hour increments. 
but still it's just ongoing and it's just so it's yeah it's stressful it's ongoing it's on my calendar every week so i dread about three weeks. yeah it's it's really it's really emotionally challenging so this is what i did i made the agenda myself rather than having everyone read those reports i requested those reports be submitted to me a week before the meeting and i required those reports be given to me a week before the meeting and the reason was i wanted to read them myself at home and I wanted to be able to really think about what each person who was on Lily's team was thinking about, you know, what can she do? What can she not? What does she need support? What does she want to do? And then when I set the agenda, rather than putting the parent needs, which is where it falls in the natural agenda is last, I put those first so that I was walking into the meeting and I said, I would like to run this meeting uh, with you, and I'm presenting the agenda. Here are my first three concerns and Lily's first three concerns. And how can we work together to make sure that these needs are met? And it just really kind of turns the whole, just the air and the vibe is different because you're, you're walking into the meeting more prepared and you're not hearing the negative things. You're hearing, this is what we'd like to do and how can we work together to make it happen? Does that make sense? Mm, I love that. How do you think the teachers and the therapists all felt about the new format that you made? I am very open with the fact that I didn't make a lot of friends in the educational system. But in the end, I think that I was respected in the, in the way that I was able to get the accommodations that Lily needed. And I know that it made things easier for the teachers in the long run because I said, I will keep this meeting to one hour. I will come in very organized and prepared. I, it will be, you know, very clear cut. I, w- I will tell you, Effie, the first time I asked for those reports a week ahead of time, it didn't happen. And so I canceled the meeting and they came out to me. I remember I was picking Lily up for school and or from school and they came out to my car and this one woman said, um, oh my gosh, I got the notice that you're canceling the meeting because we don't have all the reports in. And I said, yeah, that's right. I don't, I don't have two of them. And she said, but you can imagine how, my, how much time it takes us to coordinate all these people to get together for a meeting. And I said, yeah, I, ca- I can't imagine. And she said, so we really can't cancel it. And I said, well, I think you need to go talk to those two people who didn't get the reports in and then let me know what the new date is. And she was just shocked because it does take a lot to coordinate. And I know that, but I think if you, you really have to take a stand and it's kind of taking your time back. You know, you're you're taking those three hours that you might be sitting at a table and having someone read to you. You're using those hours at home to prepare and reading it in the privacy of your own home. It's still going to be emotionally difficult to read those reports, but at least you can digest it in your own time. And I think it's really important that parents take that time and they don't have to follow exactly the way that everybody's been doing it in the past. And I think if I had known that in the beginning, we might have had a different experience K through 12. It's funny to me how like, calm and like collected and meek you sound. But (laughs) I want to sort of go over what you did again, because it was a boss move. You decided to restructure the meetings so they were not only more efficient, but so they met Lily's needs ahead of time. And you requested everyone to send them their reports so you could read over them, process some of the emotional stuff ahead of time, but actually come up with a plan and present it at the meeting. And some teachers didn't turn in their homework. So you said, today's score is a zero and we'll try again for the next for the next quiz. 
Yes, but Effie, I didn't figure this out until Lily was in like 10th grade. (laughs) I know, but it's still really amazing and impressive. And it worked. Well, it did work. At least for me, it worked because I felt like I was empowered. I was getting the accommodations that Lily wanted. And I really do think that we all walked out of the room after an hour not feeling like I just wanted to, I don't know what, probably not even appropriate to say in a podcast, but, you know, I would leave those IEP meetings and I would, it would be a mixture of just anger and frustration and sadness. And, you know, I remember they, when she, Lily got older, they wanted her to come to the meetings and she was crying within the first three minutes. And I thought, this is just not appropriate to read all of these things to her. And why was I letting them do it to me? Oh my gosh. And also, let's not forget, like, teachers' time is super valuable, too. And for this to have been adjusted, and for them to realize that it could fit, and it could go this way, you really did help them help you. Well, I think so. And the other thing that you can do, Effie, is, you know, when you get into middle school, and and Ford has five teachers instead of one, I was finding that they were always sending the teacher where everything worked. You know, and I really needed the math teacher there because we were trying to figure out how to get statistics into a computer that was using a platform that was a PC and a Mac. And like we had really kind of complex issues we were trying to figure out. And I needed the math teacher there. I didn't need the English teacher there where Lily was swimming through the class. Totally. So you can request those kind of things. And the other thing is you can request anyone to be at this meeting. So You know, I'm in the state of California where we have great services and we have a regional center and the regional center has an educational advocate that I can actually call and say, could you come to my IEP meeting? And they will come and just take notes. But you don't, even if you're in a state that doesn't have services like that, you can have your friend do it. But you just have to let them know ahead of time in writing that you want someone to come and you have to say what their name is and they can't say no. But it's really important that people have support with them. And you can have support with them. You just have to know what your rights are, which is why it's so important for people to read about these things. You know, and rights law starts with a W. Rights law is important. Um, Idea is important. Knowing about access and the access should be provided for every child. And, you know, from the day that we started Lily's education, and she was in preschool, but you know, these tensions started in preschool. It started with Lily having access to finger painting. You know, I mean, it it really, and I'm not joking, it was, it started with really simple things. And it went on through, you know, graduation, and how is Lily going to be at graduation? And you have to really think about the whole day and all the hours that your child's at school. And it doesn't matter what the you know, is it a field trip that you want to access? Then, you know, figure out how you can access the, the field trip. But all of the things that your child needs should be incorporated into that IEP. So who writes the IEP itself? The school generally writes it, gives it to a parent, presents it at the IEP meeting, and the parents agree, sign it, don't really understand it. But what you did was something different. Yeah. So the first thing is don't ever sign your IEP at the IEP meeting. It's a federal document. It's a contract. You need to take it home and read it and maybe have someone else read it and just make sure it's exactly what you want and that you don't have questions. 
they will want you to sign it when you're sitting there. They don't want to chase parents down to sign their contract. They have to get it signed. They need to put it into the district computer saying that you've signed it. They have every reason to want you to sign it when you're sitting there. But there is absolutely no reason that you need to sign it. It's not required that you sign it at that meeting. And if you remember one thing in this whole podcast, it's not to sign the IEP, even if you agree with everything. And they said to me many times, well, Mrs. Grossman, you agree with everything. And I say, I know, but I'll bring it back to you another day. And I would, you know, I would do it within the week. It wasn't like it was a long time, but you really need to sign it. Once you've signed it, you signed it. You know, remember that. I think just making sure that you know what your needs of your child are. And I have a systematic way of the way that you can come up with your goals to make it so that it's not overwhelming. It's written by the school and a lot of parents just read through it and they agree with what's there because they don't really know how to, how to do anything else because nobody's teaching them how to do it. Yeah, it's just like you said, you didn't know anything about the medical system until you were in it and you had to try to figure it out and the education system's the same way. Exactly. There are three aspects of Lily's life that I would oversee, medical, education, and financial. And it's my responsibility to know each one of those areas what her rights are, and how I can protect her, and how I can get her access to what she needs. We'll take a master class in all three of those another time. <laughs> Thank you, Gay. <laughs> Remember, she's 25, Effie. She's 25. I've had a long <laughs> time to read about these things and learn about them. And I've made a lot of mistakes. Well, good. Your mistakes are our gain. So thank you for, for trailblazing it for us. And then coming back to teach us, Gay, it's, it's so important. And I know how fast time goes. So you keep saying 25 years, like it's been forever. But man, like this is hard stuff. And time goes by so quickly. And by by the time you learn something, there's another way to learn it, you know, and there's a new rule enacted. And so it's no small feat. It's really not. And I think I might have told you that I cleaned up my office recently and I came across all the IEPs. I saved one from each year. And Oh boy, was it ever tempting, Effie. I just really wanted to start a fire in my backyard and just let them go. (laughs) I thought, oh no, Gay, this is learning opportunity. Someone can learn from this. So I'm actually working with someone right now to um, write a white paper and put them together so that not only can it benefit people who are getting diagnosed with the same disease Lily has, but hopefully other people can, can learn from it as well. Yeah, put it all in the cloud and then go to a retreat and burn those because that will feel good. It will feel so good. Maybe I should just copy them and scan them so that I can burn them. (laughs) Yes, definitely do both. (laughs) Yeah, a second ago you were talking about one of your systematic ways that you've created to, what was it, uh, decide what goals were important and how you did that. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. So there, there are a couple of ways. We talked a little bit about field trips. Let's talk about that one because that seems to be something that's a little bit more interesting than, than some other things. Now, I'll give you an example. One of the things they do here in the state of California is starting in fourth grade, they do some kind of extended field trip. And one of the field trips is going to Yosemite, which is really exciting. Kids go away. They sleep in tents. They climb up mountains, they do science, math, and all kinds of different things. And um, when this came about, we were told that Lily would not be able to go on this trip. And we 
were not going to take no for an answer, but we were willing to help the school and figure out how we could make it happen. And so we talked about, you know, how could we make it happen and what is really realistic? And I think it's important for families to remember, like, what's realistic? Like, what do you really want? You don't really want to just, you know, make things difficult just because you want everything to be exactly accessible for your child. For example, they sleep in tents when they go to Yosemite. Lily uses a wheelchair. It's not a great idea for her to sleep in a tent. It would be very challenging. One of us would have had to sleep in the tent with her. There are other kids that are on the trip. And, you know, there's just a lot of different things. And what did we really want Lily to get out of the trip? I wanted her to be able to go to Yosemite. I wanted her to be able to participate in the activities, go to the campfires at night, things like that. So we had to sit down with the school and figure out, you know, how can we make it work? And there was some, I'll be honest, there was some arguing at the meeting. And my husband finally said, I got to hand it to him because he's a salesperson. He's always trying to compromise and he doesn't get invited to a lot of IEP meetings because of that. But this one in particular, he said, look, let's cut to the chase. Lily's going to Yosemite. We all need to sit here and figure out how to make it work. So here's what we're willing to do. We will go to Yosemite. We will get a hotel room. We'll cover the hotel room. But we want to be able to have Lily show up in the morning and participate just like the other kids. And so I worked with the science teacher who was going to the top of the mountain with the kids to take different water levels and learn different things in the lab. And I said, that's great. You just give me that lab assignment and I'm going to be using the same water at the bottom of the mountain. And Lily and I are going to do the same thing. And maybe there are things to compare that we can teach the kids. So Yes, Lily was not doing it exactly like every other kid, but she was there from seven in the morning until after 10 o'clock at night with the kids doing all the things. And she went to Yosemite and she did the lab report and it was a great experience for her. And I think that in the end, there were some people in the school who were able to say, yeah, I guess I don't want to say they were wrong, but maybe they realized that they could have looked at something a little bit with a little bit more of an open mind. Adapting. Adapting. What a concept. Exactly. Wow. I love that she got to go. Of course she got to go. And she went on the East Coast trip. She traveled to the other side of the country and she completely participated in all that they did in that trip as well, Effie. And we had to make accommodations. For example, you know, Lily can be hospitalized at a moment's notice and and I need to be there with her. And so we flew across the country and we traveled within an hour of the class down the East Coast as they went so that Lily knew and the school knew that, and I knew that if she needed something, if there was some kind of medical emergency, we would be there. And, you know, it just made everybody feel better. And, you know, but Lily did take a plane separate from mine. And, and um, this is, you know, we're getting ready for life. That's what education is. So it's like, how are we going to accommodate? You know, another example is, I think um, it was in kindergarten or first grade, one of the things that they put on Lily's IEP when they handed it to me was penmanship and, you know, holding a pencil. And that, and that's one of the examples, if you look up, and, and this is something I want to, I want to share, Effie, is that when you're, trying to figure out what the goals should be with your child, you can actually look online and you can Google, you know, what should my first grader be able to master by the end of the year? And you kind of start there. So they wanted Lily to be able to hold a pencil or a marker. And that's something that's listed when you look online about what a first grader should be able to do. And I thought, you know, with Lily's dexterity and challenges in her movement disorder, 
I'm not sure she will be able to do that. And putting that on her IEP, I'm not sure that's going to help her. And I think everybody was kind of at a loss because what do we do with that? And what we ended up doing was, you know, I thought about, okay, when she's older, does it matter if she's holding a marker? And how often do I hold a marker in my everyday world? And I kind of came to the conclusion that, you know, Lily might never write in cursive and Lily might never write more than her name, but I want her to know how to type and I want her to know a keyboard. And so that's what we started in first grade. And her goal was different than her classmates, but it was still communicating through writing. Wow, that's amazing. And that just kind of turns my own wheels. Like they sent all this stuff home with Ford in his backpack when school ended of him, you know, writing Mm -hmm. in quotes and Ford's movement disorder also. I mean, it's more of a violent experience when Ford has a pen or a pencil or even a marker in his hand. Mm -hmm. So that gives me something to think about. Well, yeah, I mean, sometimes yeah. the marker would end up in the other room. Oh, <laughs> <Right>? yeah. <laughs> Guaranteed. But really, Ford doesn't need to write for to be successful in life, and neither does Lily, because there's other ways to communicate. We're born at a time that we're really fortunate. There's a lot of technology. So teaching Ford how to best use whatever that communication device is, that's what matters. Totally. What's another important thing that we need to make sure that we have in our IEPs that we don't really think about? Let's use Ford as an example. What's something that you wish that he could do in the everyday classroom that maybe he doesn't have access to right now? Well, I feel like one of my main concerns is the peer-to-peer stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, Ford's been surrounded by adults his whole life, and so he connects with adults really well. You know, his therapists, his parents, grandparents, doctors, people who know how to communicate with them off the bat. So it's been more difficult to figure out ways for Ford to actually engage with the kids, especially when he's getting taken out of class for special education services or adaptive PE. And also, I discovered at the end of the year this year, because a therapist brought it to my attention, that his actual classroom wasn't super accessible because of the way all the desks were arranged. So they were all two desks pointed to each other. And when there was 30 of it, it took all the real estate. Mm -hmm. And so Ford couldn't just wheel around and like, you know, visit his friends when they were having free time because there were so many desks in the way. So I think for me, it was just becoming aware of what was actually happening while he was at school Mm -hmm. in real time rather than thinking about what his IEP said a year ago. Right. Did I even answer you? No, but I'm thinking about, you know, Maybe something that you can do over the summer is, you know, Ford's teacher for next year, right? Not yet. Well, when you find out who the teacher is, maybe you go visit the school and go look at the classroom and talk about the importance of Ford being able to get around and and talk to that teacher about, you know, how do kids hand in their assignments and and how do kids work together in teams and how do they get out to recess? And when they get out to recess, what do they do? And maybe incorporating a buddy for Ford to do speech therapy with them. You know, there's a lot of kids who get services at school that we don't know about. And they're probably having some of the same challenges you are. So there might be a child that maybe needs some occupational therapy with, you know, you know, doing something with cutting and pasting. And maybe Ford could be working on speech at the same time and they could kind of work as a team. And that would give him a buddy to do 
one of the activities with and it would help the other kid out too. That's such a good idea. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Thank you, Gay. Well, there, there are lots of moms and dads who are asking the same questions we all are. I know my friend Cynthia called me last year and told me that she just found out that there was no fire plan for her daughter, Mallory, who also uses a wheelchair, and that they said that they would push her into a sort of fireproof room if a fire happened. And that was the answer. And everyone else would evacuate. Uh. What? would you say to families about making sure that they know the evacuation plan and figuring out if there's one in place and how would you even go around fixing something that's that broken? Well, I think you asked me that question because you know that we did it. What didn't you do okay, <laughs> is really it. Again, Effie, it was, it was uh, once, well, I guess we did, the, we did do this in elementary school and we moved to the state of California. I was a little worried about earthquakes and I was a little worried about fires and I really, it really made me kind of stop and, and think about these things. But I did think about in Ohio too, because I remember being told that Lily's aide would not be able to take her out of, of, out of the building if it, if it were on fire. And I remember thinking, I don't even know what to say. Like, how would Lily get out? And they told me that they would wait until the fire chief got there. And then that person would come in and get Lily and get her out. And it just, I mean, I didn't know what to say. I was new as being a parent in schools and I just kind of always felt like I was a guest in the school rather than really an active participant because I was always, like I said, trying to let people know that we could measure up and that, you know, that we deserve to be there too. And it's not the right feeling to have, but I think a lot of parents have that feeling. So you don't want to make waves. And I remember just to keep people out of trouble, I will just say that someone pulled me aside one day at Lily's Elementary School in Ohio and said to me, I just want you to know that I will take Lily out of the building. And it makes me cry thinking about that. But it was so, I like, couldn't believe that someone like came to me to say that to me without me asking. And um, when we moved to the state of California, it let me know that people really do want to help. And, and so I did ask someone. I went to the room next to Lily because there was a male teacher. And um, I asked him if he would make sure that Lily would always get out. And he agreed to do that. But I, I did always take it upon myself. And I think it's important that parents know that you do have to take it upon yourself. One of the things that uh, Lily did, and she really did do this, uh, she was awarded her gold award as a Girl Scout because she implemented a safety plan in her high school. And I didn't know the plan in high school. And I, I'm not even sure why. I think because I got a little complacent because she had the same aide from sixth grade to 12th grade who, and she was very involved and very active. And I know that she would have, she still would walk over burning coals for Lily, literally. And I didn't worry about Lily when she was there, but it came to my attention that Lily was told to go to a separate corner. The high school is very large where Lily went. And so it took a city block. And Lily went to one corner and everyone else went to another. They went into the football field. And I actually found this out because Lily told me she needed access to the football field. And I remember saying to her, why do I need to fight for you to get access to the football field? And she said, because mom, that's where everybody goes when there's an emergency. And can you imagine, I feel like the feeling of everyone going one direction and you're going the opposite direction? No, especially when everyone's scared. Yeah. And especially, I kept thinking, you know, all the emergency vehicles are going to the opposite end, too. Like, what if there's a problem and 
what are we asking this aide to do all by herself with Lily and her wheelchair? It just didn't make sense. So I asked to see the plan. And just so everyone knows, it is a law that every school has to have an evacuation plan. Go to your school, tell them you want to see it, you want to read it. And don't be surprised if they don't give you one. If they don't have one, don't get upset, help them make one. What you want to figure out is how are people getting out? Where are people meeting? There is someone responsible at your district for making these plans. Find out who it is. Go meet with them. Help them make a plan. When Lily did her Girl Scout Gold Award, one of the goals of getting this award is really working with adults and making us, making something like this happen. And so Lily was introduced to the people who do it. And Effie, there are hundreds of schools in San Diego. Guess how many people are responsible for making all of the evacuation plans? I'm scared to know. Two. Oh, God. Oh. And every building's different. So it's not possible. So it's really up to us to go in and help them. I can hear people saying right now, listening to this podcast, saying, gay, how can you say that it's our responsibility? It's the school's responsibility. We pay taxes. But it, the reality is it's our child sitting there. And it's our child that we want to make sure can get out of that building. And it's the children coming behind them. And it's the children who are at that school. You will help them. So just help them. So Lily and I learned a lot doing that project. And we learned about uh, med sleds. There's a company that makes med sleds. They roll up into the size of a yoga mat. And there's one at the top of the stairway in all of the stairways at Lily's High School. When Lily went to college, she found out that they didn't have them there either. So she had them get med sleds too. But I do remember when Lily, there was a brand new building at Lily's college. And I said to Lily, so um, how are you getting out of that building? Because she was telling me how she had a class up on the roof, that it was so cool, that there was a garden up there. And, and I said, well, so how are you getting out? Did they put a med sled in yet? And she said, well, mom, there are lots of football players in my class. <laughs> I said, that's not good enough, Lily. So she, she, she did ask the school to get a med sled and they did. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. And, you know, I think parents, yes, well, they were thinking that like, it's not my job. It's also like another truth that we just know, right? It's another mm -hmm. hat that we're going to have to go pick up and put on evacuation specialist, I don't know, construction worker, and just figuring it out for our kid, because it's our job. And again, it's a service to the next kid that will be coming into that school, like you said. It is. And I, I think if anybody's heard me speak, they've heard me say that I do my advocacy for my daughter, but I also do my advocacy for the families who are you know, single parents, they're working three jobs, they have three other kids, they do not have time to do things like this. And I am so lucky that I do have the time and ability to do things like this that are so important. And that's why I, you know, share what I've learned, because I think I can abbreviate time. And, and Effie, you're 20 years behind me. And whatever I can do to teach you to save you time and save you heartache, I will do. Like when exactly was I supposed to start using retinol? <laughs> Different combo. But yeah, no, thank you, Gay. And I think that's something that's so special about you that I know and everyone else knows is that you're compelled to teach, right? And to make it better for the next person, which is really special. And I think that it's all of our duty if we have the capacity for it. 
and if we have the bandwidth for it and the resources for it. So thank you. Of course. I also want to remind everybody to document and make sure that when you're communicating with your school that you're doing it by email and not phone call and not handwritten notes because it's really important that you know this this is like I said the IEPs and legal contract it's important that you cover yourself it's important that you keep good notes email so that it's everything's date and time stamped so that you know what things you've agreed to and what you need the other thing people should know is you can call an IEP meeting any time of the year so even though you have your IEP meeting and you want something changed, you can still request one. And it's best to request it by email because they have a certain time and, and a certain amount of time that they can get back to you to, to make that meeting. The other thing, Effie, I want to tell you is most IEP meetings are scheduled at the end of the year, and it's such a busy time for teachers. So schedule it during your child's birthday. Um, Lily's birthday is in February, and I used to have hers during February because it was I was the only one in the school having an IEP meeting, and it just made it easier for everybody else. If your child's birthday is in the spring, then do it on their six-month birthday, whatever. But try not to have it during the end of the school year because teachers have a lot going on during that time. And you want to be able to, to get the attention that your child deserves. Those are hot tips. Pretend like you're an attorney and put everything in writing and you schedule the IEP appointment for the best time that fits everyone's stress level and where you're going to be able to get the maximum amount of attention and time to complete it and where everyone gets what they want without scrambling and just the stress of it all anyways at the end of the school year. Yep. And it's okay to ask for help. Have a friend go with you to take notes. It's okay to hire an advocate or an attorney. If that, you know, if it comes to you needing direction to get things finished so that, you know, things are moving along in the time that you need, it's, it's okay. It doesn't have to be ugly and it doesn't have to be contentious. You just need to get the job done so that your your child can get the education that they deserve. This episode is coming out in the middle of summer. So before people are going back to school, they have maybe a month and a half, two months before they go. What advice do you have for someone who's a little unsure about what they just did or who's going into their first IEP at this point in time? So definitely read the you're going to leave resources for people. Is that right? Oh, yeah, there's going to be so many links in Gay's episode, links to the IDEA and Know Your Rights, an article she wrote that, that lays out a bunch of stuff in the way only Gay can do, perfectly organized and easy to digest, and any other links that we think of later. Great. So I think this summer, if you take out your IEP and read it, and goals that either don't seem measurable, and, you know, I have a a link in the article about how to write a smart goal so that it's it's measurable. If it's not something that you really care about or it's not something your child really strives to know how to do or be involved with, make a new goal. Highlight things that are helpful, highlight things that are not helpful and change them. You can take the summer to make some changes. You can request a meeting. You know, I wouldn't do it the first day of school. I would request to have a meeting, you know, maybe the third week of school when things settle down a little bit. But I would take some time, you know, even you, Effie, I would, I would take some time to go visit that classroom for four to make sure that the desks are set up for him so that he can get around and meet people. And make sure that his goals are things that are attainable and that he really cares about that are going to help him later in life. And don't make them overwhelming. Make them things that are 
that everyone's going to feel success with. Cool. Okay. I do have a couple really random questions before we close. Okay, good. Bringing treats and presents to teachers for IEPs. And also, should you refuse a virtual appointment and make sure it's in person or does it matter? One, I would not give gifts. We want to be friends with people that we are working with, but I would treat this as a business relationship. This is, you want to appear professional and this is one time that you don't want them to be the professionals and you to be the mom or dad. You want to all be going at the, at the same level. Does that make sense? Yes. And I love that advice. And I wholeheartedly agree with it, actually. And ain't nobody got time for that. No, you don't have time to be putting bows on things. The other thing that you asked me about was virtual versus in person. Well, Effie, I never had the opportunity to do virtual. <laughs> As a matter of fact, do you know that the only time we ever had to hire an attorney was because I wanted Lily to be able to FaceTime into her classes? Oh my goodness. You had to hire an attorney for that? I did. Lily, one of her symptoms that she has or had, because thank goodness we found treatment for it, but she would be up all night with these movements. So the morning would roll around and she'd be exhausted. She wasn't sick, so I wasn't keeping her home sick. But she was just so tired and sometimes she just couldn't go and she wanted to be able to FaceTime into her classes just so she could keep an idea of what was going on and not feel that she was disconnected. And we could not get the approval for her to be able to FaceTime into her classes, which is laughable these days because it's all we do now. But yeah, that was the first time that we had to hire an attorney. She was in, in 10th grade and all we wanted her to be able to do was to be able to hear what was happening. So I didn't have that choice. But in the end, we were able to get the FaceTime into the classes. I know I don't need to tell you that part because you know I did get it. (laughs) Of course you did, Gay. You and the daughter you created have become their own best advocates. I love it. Like mother, like daughter. Well, after we did that, I, you know, again, thinking of the parents who don't have the time to go back and forth with something like that that was so important for Lily. We copied, or I copied the settlement that said that she could have access to FaceTime. And I took what was given to us by the judge so that everyone could see, because, you know, you can imagine there were some negative comments about us fighting the school about this, but I really wanted everyone to know that this wasn't about money. We didn't get any money for it. We didn't want any money for it. All we wanted was Lily to be able to get into her classes virtually. And so we made a copy of the document from the courts and I gave it to Lily and I said, I want you to give this to all your teachers and I want you to give this to anyone who asks you questions about it. I want them to see what we were going head to head on and what the outcome was because I wanted other families to know that if their child had some kind of illness or some kind of reason that they couldn't attend school. I wanted them to know Lily wasn't being treated in a special way. We made headway to get all kids this access, but they wouldn't have gotten the access if they didn't know about it. So that's why I made it so public. It's like your TMZ, Gay. Well, I just, there's no point in just fighting for one. There's too many of us. Yeah, no. And I do love that, especially the part about just making sure that there isn't any gossip about it and making sure there isn't any, you know, unclear ideas of what really went on. There was lots of gossip about it, (laughs) but I put an end to it pretty quickly. Shut it down. I didn't have time to go answer all those nasty comments. So I just made copies and gave it to Lily. Okay. Okay. Well, (laughs) 
Gay, I could talk to you for a million years, obviously, and I think that this episode's going to be super valuable and there's so many actionable takes and I'll make a pretty little infographic for people so they can feel like they don't have to scramble through this episode to get all the important stuff out because I think that what you did was it was obviously transformational for your family and for Lily and for the school that you left behind. But I think it empowers all of us to realize that we're in the driver's seat and that we can structure the meetings and bring up the goals and be a teammate, like a full-blown teammate to make these kids as successful as they can be and not to be as terrified and beat down as most of us feel now. Yeah, it's to be an equal member of the team to make things more efficient and really to help everybody. It's not just helping your child and, and you, but it's also helping the teachers and the school. Because think about it, they can't make all these solutions for everybody. Every child's different. We're, we've really put teachers in a difficult position. So let's do all we can to help our own child, which will in turn hopefully help others. Okay. Well, thanks for being my guest today, Gay. Thanks, Effie. I just love you so much. Love you too. Thanks for having this podcast so that other people can learn from what I learned. You know why I do it. So thank you. I appreciate it. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story, or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you. 